0: Welcome to the Possibility Action Network podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Middleton, AKA Possibility Man. We're committed to bringing you guests who strive to better people's lives and serve as a force for good in the world. Today, our guest is Dr. Dr. Colonel Khalid Shabazz. He's <laughs> head of the Chaplain of the US Central Command at MacDill Air Force Base in Tampa, Florida. He has earned two doctoral degrees, four master's degrees, he serves as an adjunct professor, he's the author of four books, and he has gained renown as the first Muslim to attain the rank of colonel in the United States Army. Dr. Colonel Shabazz, you have been very busy, welcome. How you doing? I'm
1: doing well. Thank you for having me.
0: That's that's awesome. Hey, look, we want to get to know you. And I knew that you were born in Alexandria, Louisiana. Can you share with us a little bit about growing up, about yourself growing up?
1: Yeah, yeah. Growing up, uh, up until 10 years old was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I was, uh, at that time, I was molested by a family friend at 10 years old. Um, that, that in itself reshaped my life. Uh, I, was, I, from that time, I went to special education in the eighth grade, failed the ninth grade, failed the 11th and 12th grade. Um, uh, fortunately for me, um, I, I have this, God has given me this big body. I'm about 6'5, 275 pounds. So I was, I was allowed at that time to go to college where I played college sports, Uh, When I played college sports I still hadn't dealt with the uh, molestation. I was angry. I was drinking myself to sleep at night. And um, it all came to a head one day uh, where I was, you know, constantly bullying people. Because I got to be honest with you, my dear brother, I didn't know whether I was a man or a woman. Uh, I grew up in the house with women. I was molested. And so by the time I got to college, anybody who looked at me with a jaundiced eye, I would just beat them into a poke. Well, uh, that came to a head one night. Um, These guys knew I was coming brother. And um, they jumped me, uh, shot me in the back, beat me with a shovel. Uh, I was airlifted out to Tyler Medical Center where I almost lost my life. And so uh, that in itself uh, set off another set of events for me uh, in the sense where uh, six months later, um i i saw this kid who shot me one of the kids one, one of the kids who shot me and um you know this is why friends uh are good friends are very important um i had some friends and i told them hey man i see you know such and such i'm i'm terrified and so my so-called friends uh their brother uh gave me a 45 shotgun a mm-hmm. uh, 45 and a sawed-off shotgun and they wanted me to kill this kid because that's that's misdirected in our community sometimes on manhood. Uh, but it was, it was a voice in the wilderness. I saw this one young man who I uh, respected and uh, man, I'm gonna start crying here, but uh, yeah. he said, uh, he said, you're gonna disappoint your mom, man, if you kill this kid. And so uh, I decided not to kill that kid that day Uh, I beat him and I went to jail uh, for some time. Uh, And then after that, I went to, um, I got out of jail and I went to Alexander, Louisiana, where I served as a cashier slash janitor uh, at Kmart. Um, My wife, my girlfriend at the time was uh, pregnant. I decided to come into the United States Army. And from 1991 to 1992, I uh, had two Article Fifteens, uh, getting ready to get chaptered out of the army, getting ready to get put out mm-hmm. of the army. And fortunately for me, I had a, a mentor, uh, some guy who I didn't know decided yeah. to be my mentor yeah. and teach me how to be a man. So, okay,
0: so Colonel, this this yes. is you know you uh, you really hit punch that's real hard right out of the gate there. Before yes. we go on though, I just want to pause for a moment and because I think people need to understand. Uh, what assault can do to human being. Yeah. So, can you you mentioned that you had been assaulted as a child? Yeah. Um, you know, how does this impact the life of a person? Can you just kind of pause and let's make sure that people understand that this is a, a criminal act that, that leaves scars on people who are, are victims of it.
1: Yeah, you know, you know, for me. Um... Uh, I was a happy kid, extrovert, you know, animated, you know, played sports. I mean, it was everything. But uh, once uh, you're assaulted like that, there, there's a couple of things that now that I'm older I understand uh, and right, why I continue to get in trouble. Um, you you distrust the authority figures in your life because those authority figures, even though you love them, they didn't protect you. All right. And so, uh, this uh, young man who assaulted me, um, he was a known homosexual in the community. He was a known homosexual in the church, but uh, in our house, you know, obviously everybody's welcome and that's fine, but you don't let your young son sleep in the bed with a person who may have that lifestyle, at least not in that case. I'm just gonna speak in my case yeah. uh, to be very general. And so for me, I was conflicted, not only by this person who assaulted me, who was my friend, was a family friend who I trusted, but also by the authority uh, inside the house that would allow that. So I'm, I'm lost. I'm in a tailspin. I wouldn't even talk in school. That's why I went to special education.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, you know, so gosh, I mean, you are, as you said, a big man's, uh, you know, but yet you have a tender heart. Here. Um, what is it like to share this? I mean, you know, uh, what do you do with the judgment of others, or uh, what is that like to be able to say that and still feel, you know, in your integrity as a as a man and as a person?
1: Well, you know, for me, this I didn't start telling this story until I was. 40 years old, Mm -hmm.
0: uh,
1: because I had achieved, turned my life around, achieved some level of um, success. Uh, But I just found myself being inauthentic, you know, and I wanted to to free myself from all judgment. I wanted to free myself from all of those shackles of what that molestation did to me. Uh, I wanted to be honest to my kids and my wife about why I wouldn't let them spend the night at other people's house, uh, and why we wouldn't let people spend the night at our house. Uh, and I gotta tell you, man, uh, once I started doing that, I started healing. And then I started healing other people. And uh, I've been doing it for the last 13 years. And uh, leadership wise, it has excelled me exponentially. I mean, like I sent you the Wall Street Journal. Yeah. I mean, in the newspaper. New York Times, Washington Post, you know, uh, internet sensation because I decided to help other people. Uh, so for me, I, you know, as a man, my size, my stature, my rank, it, it is so freeing to other soldiers because of that. Okay, I mean, a guy told me one time, I just made Colonel, and he, he came to my office and he said, what gave you the courage to do that? And he just started crying in my arms. Now like, this is a grown master sergeant in the army. Like these are the tough first sergeant people in the army, like the toughest people in the army. He's crying in my arms. And he said, I got molested too. Yeah. So as I go on, I find out that, uh, so many people, you know, have been molested, but they're afraid to tell. So it frees uh-huh. me.
0: That's great. That's great. So um, tell me about uh, Michael Barnes.
1: Yeah, Michael Barnes was a wreck. <laughs> <man>.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Michael uh-huh. Barnes was a wreck. Uh-huh. Um, you know, he was a um, a kid that was just lost. I mean, really, just lost. I mean, because you. Michael Barnes was the kid that got molested, right? Oh. Michael Barnes was the kid who was getting teased at school um, uh, on a whole. You know, it was interesting. I was five seven until I was in the twelfth grade, okay. right? And so five seven, about one sixty five pounds, and so kids just naturally pick on you when you're a smaller kid, right? And so. Not only was I getting teased for being in special ed, I don't know where you're from, but you know, in Louisiana, we used to call it the short bus. Yeah. People used to tease you for being on the short bus. Then they teasing you because you're smaller. And then you're teasing, some of the kids teasing you because you're poor, okay? Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, we we also, born in 1968, we were the first kids to segregate in Louisiana, integrate in Louisiana. So we went to Chalga High School. So that's a whole nother set of circumstances michael barnes and i had so much anger in me man <laughs>
0: yeah
1: I, i'm i'm fighting every day i mean uh, literally absolutely. every yeah. day
0: yeah man. and michael barnes was also a christian right a,
1: a lutheran michael, mm-hmm. michael barnes was a lutheran going to be a a um uh studying to be a lutheran minister all right uh-huh. okay uh, that was that was the family uh, i was the probably the kid that was gonna do that. So I went to catechism, I got confirmed, used to go to school on Saturday and learn all the books of the Bible and all that stuff. And uh, it was just, um, I went to Jarvis Christian College, by the way. Right. And So all that stuff was in line, uh, but one of the things that, uh, and I talked about it in the Wall Street Journal, Mm. uh, which I see changing now, which is a good thing, as just was no man in the church. Okay. Yeah, there was no men in the church. The the church was, the only man who was in the church was the pastor and my grandfather, right? And so the pastor, because it was a small church, he used to dip in, he was a white uh, guy. It was an all-black church, but he used to dip in. It's not like the Baptist church, it was Lutheran. Mm -hmm. So he used to dip in and leave out. Uh, So I didn't have a lot of men around me. Mm -hmm. And so when I (laughs) I, (laughs) I saw Malcolm X, man, I'm telling you, the rhetoric rhetoric, it was fine. Got right. it. But he, you know, he was strong. But right. really, what attracted me to Malcolm X was when he was in the jail cell and he had an eighth-grade education. Right. And he learned the whole dictionary. Because you remember, I'm a special education in eighth grade. I thought I was a dumb man.
0: Right. Right.
1: I thought I was ignorant. Yeah. And so he educated himself. Right. I was attracted to that on a whole nother level.
0: Right, that's special about the autobiography. of Malcolm next, but but let's stick with high school and your early education because I want people to understand too. Just because you start one place, doesn't mean that you end up you have know, to stay in that place forever. I mean, you have yeah. well-credential, but what about high school? I think you had some struggles in high school. You had some struggles getting out of high school. Is that right? Oh yeah,
1: yeah. I I ninth, I felt ninth, eleventh, and twelfth grade, and huh. all yeah. of it was math and English. Right. Mm. Um because I didn't have a lot of self-esteem, a lot of self-worth, I just didn't try. You know, I in special education in eighth grade, you just already think you're dumb anyway, Mm -hmm. right? And then there's another dynamic there, you know, in the African American community, even if you try to be smart, the kids Mm -hmm. are killing you. yeah, Unmercifully, you're trying to be, you know, teachers pets you are trying to be smart you trying to be white all of these different dynamics come into play so you know I'm playing ball I ain't really gotta you know do a lot and so you just sit in the class and you you know kind of hang out and don't do a lot of work well I ran into a couple of teachers was like okay ball player you ain't doing your work you're not passing my class and so that's what happened
0: yeah. Okay. Yeah. But but still though, you apparently had the credentials or at least the grades or something to get into college after high school. No. You did not. No.
1: So, so Jarvis Christian College. Uh, mm-hmm. well, I just went back to speak uh, after 30 years because I was, hand, uh, they, they took me off the campus in handcuffs, by the way, when they expelled me. Okay. Uh, so I just went back that 30 years. One of the great things about some of the HBCUs, mm-hmm. we didn't have to take an ACT. We didn't have to take a SAT, right? We didn't have to have any credentials back then. So all I had to do is graduate high school. Well, I think I graduated 1.96, right? Um, or 2.0, something like that. But it was very low. Drove down to Jarvis Christian College. I got in remedial classes and they admitted me into college because I, I was an athlete.
0: Okay. I, yeah, get, I, was, I, I get the picture now. Okay. So, all right. So... Um, so let's say you know you ran into trouble with the law, but then you looked at the US military. Was it the Air Force first or was it the Army first?
1: Yeah, it was the Army.
0: Army. Okay. So what caused you then to look in that direction?
1: Well, you know, you know, in I wrote a kind of quasi book about it. In the African American community, one of the places for economic stability is the military. And so I didn't have any other skills, I didn't have any other aspirations really. I just know I had a kid on the way and I needed to support him. And I didn't like being a janitor. (laughs) So so the military was the viable option.
0: Yeah. Okay. Now you've mentioned Article 15. Help us understand what that what is that? What does that mean?
1: Uh Article 15 is non-judicial punishment right? for for people who are unruly, uh, people who can't be disciplined, people who like to disrespect authority. And so in Article 15, they take you in, they take some of your money, they take your rank, and then they make you do extra duty for about, you know, anywhere from two weeks to 45 days. Okay, Mm -hmm. like in the the, uh, prison or jail, they call it hard time. Mm -hmm. Right? And so... Uh, you get a couple of them and uh, after a while, you out to out the way, you out of the military. And so okay. I got a couple, of, I was on my way out of the military. You got a
0: couple of them?
1: Yeah, I got two Article 15s wow. in one year. Okay. Yeah, because I couldn't, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't, I couldn't take authority.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Anybody who re- reveled up to me or reared up to me, I didn't care what your rank was. I didn't care who you were. If you busted yourself up, blustered yourself up to me, I was coming at you. Because okay. all all I knew was how to get people in authority off of me. At this point, I was so disgusted with authority mm-hmm. that all anytime somebody tried to, I believe, would disrespect me, then I was coming back at them full force. Well, you know that doesn't work in the military, <laughs> right?
0: Right. Okay. So I want to get this picture straight now. So you're in the military. Did your conversion to Islam come before the military, or no. okay? Tell us about it. Mm-hmm.
1: I was the I was in the uh, the military. The military is a is a sh- wonderful and strange place, right? So I'm in the military. We're in the motor pool with all the vehicles, and all of the soldiers have to be there in the morning. So you know, you got one two hundred soldiers down there in the morning, and this guy is running off at the mouth about Islam, Muslimness, and and this and that. And I was like, man, I am a learned person in Christianity. I will tear you to pieces. So he he challenged me to a public debate, Uh, and so I was ready. I mean, I was I was going to rip this guy to shreds. I had studied Christianity all my life, and so I started off the debate, and I said, "Well, we know you are going to the bottom pits of hell because you don't believe in Jesus, right?" And uh, he 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 just laughed. He said, "You see." You know, this is the problem with you Christians. You don't even know your own religion. And he rattled off about 17 verses in the Quran about Jesus. Right? I mean, that were absolutely congruent with the Bible. Like, he's the word of God, the Holy Spirit. He raised people from the dead. I was like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not true. If we're going to have a real debate, Mm -hmm. you need to be truthful. And so he obviously, he came locked in cock and he gave me a Quran with all the verses. And then I got to tell you, brother, I went home and cried for about five days. I yeah. felt like I had been misled. I felt like people in my life again had let me down. You know, these people who were Muslim and they were going to hell because they didn't believe in Jesus. Uh, I, you know, it just sent me into a two-year two, two span. And then I saw Malcolm X. Yeah. And it was over.
0: Right. Gotcha. I, I, le- yeah.
1: I left the movie Malcolm X. Uh-huh. I went home. I was married at the time. I uh, went home and saw. Um, I went home. My wife uh, showed it and cried and, and said literally, I'm not going to be like Malcolm X. I'm going to be Malcolm X. Uh-huh. Okay. Hence, hence the name Shabazz.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. He
1: left yeah. Mecca. Yeah. <laughs> he took the name yeah.
0: yeah. Okay. Speaking of names, then, so how did you choose Khalid?
1: um i wanted a name that meant something uh what does so call
0: mean? mm-hmm.
1: so it means immortal Khaled. um it means ones whose ideas live forever so i wanted to create a new space and have my legacy put into my children my ideas put into my children and my mm-hmm. grandchildren so that's how i chose college
0: okay. and
1: shabazz interestingly enough um it means an ego that flies above all eagles, mm. one who flies alone, right? And so, those two names together for me, I wanted it to uh, create my new mentality and my new paradigm.
0: Okay, okay. So, um, so at, at some point, you you had this this crisis. Was it before that debate uh, with that person? After that debate, where you met the chaplain and you know, that experience turned your life around. Well, you
1: know, um, the, what what changed me around, the, of course, I was studying Malcolm X in, in Islam and all that kind of stuff, but I was still getting ready to get put out of the army. Mm. So I met the Sergeant Major who decided to mentor me. Uh, and so he got me to a place where, at least in, in my mind.
0: Okay, I lost your camera. Um,
1: Here we go. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, I got to a place where, at least in my mind, I was now at least a human being. I know that sounds crazy, but that now I was at least a human being.
0: But let me pause that, there, but what does that mean though? That, I mean, what, where were you? And you mean from the, all of your experiences or were there some things in the military that further oppressed you?
1: Yeah, I just, I just, I just, to me, I was just walking around eating, sleeping, playing sports, you know, not a good husband, drinking myself to sleep. I just to me, I wasn't in in my mind a human being because that's where, you know, before this guy found me, I was an hour away from suicide. Oh. I it it was it was over for me. I mean, I I was I, I, I didn't think I was a good father. I knew I wasn't a good husband. I knew I didn't like have any goals or any purpose in life. So I had already decided to kill myself. Mm-hmm. But this young man came along and he poured into my life, treated me like a human being. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, four months later, the experience comes. I'm sitting, I, I'm fully converted now. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting in the field and I see the chaplain off in the distance, man. And I say, Oh my God, <laughs> if there, if there is a God at this point, because at this point, I don't know if it is, please don't send the chaplain over here. Mm-hmm. I know I, I I just knew he's a Christian chaplain. There's another guy that's going to come over here and beat me up. That's all I thought. But you know, as God would have it, the chaplain came over, man, and he talked to me for an hour. He talked man talk, which is what I needed. And he said to me, he said, my God, which nobody had ever told me before, he said, you're very intelligent. Why don't you become a chaplain and help people like yourself? And I listened. Woo! (laughs) I was like, oh my God, Yeah, I found my purpose, right? In my head, I'm like, oh my God, when he left there, I knew exactly what I was gonna do with the rest of my life.
0: Right, let's, let's not leave there because what you just said to me is so special. In fact, from your life experience, I would confess that there must be a God. You know, oh, because sure. something Absolutely. just something special <laughs> we're, we're, tell take, take us deeper into how you felt I mean well first of all let me roll back a little bit because the sergeant major was the first person that poured into you that invested yes. what kinds of things did he share with you that touched oh. you if you don't mind taking us there
1: oh yeah I, I could tell you immediately he, he said I believe in you wow four words. He said, yeah. you are more than your poor self-esteem. You are more than your poor self-worth. I believe in you. I'm 27 years old. Yeah. Nobody said they believe in me. I'm 27 years old, wife and two kids. I believe in you if you won't do it for yourself, I know all of the words he said. Me and him talk about it when I go back to Texas. Uh-huh. If you won't do it for yourself, why don't you do it for your wife and your children? Yeah. And then he said this, I want you to listen to this.
0: Okay.
1: He said, most people die at 25, but they're not buried until they're 75. Wow. And I said, what does that mean?
0: Mm.
1: He said, you're 27 years old and you think your life is over. He said, you just wait until you're 75 years for somebody to throw dirt on your face and then you live 50 years of regret. I'd say, oh my God.
0: Wow.
1: I say, what? I mean, you know, I, I went home and just reflected on that. Yeah. And I decided, I know it's gonna be hard. I know it's gonna be tough, but I'm gonna find a way to be a man for my wife and my kid, my kids. Yeah
0: that's great I mean that's great uh, if you don't I, I'm not sure if you if you're willing to tell us his name the sergeant major or not yeah his,
1: name, yeah his name is Jonathan Ballard you know and I use him um, in every speech that I'm in okay. and we talk, we talk and uh, you know he uh, <laughs> yeah. you know he came to my promotion as lieutenant colonel
0: uh-huh. and of
1: course you know he was there with my family and the man who was rep- rep- promoting me uh-huh. and he said hey, Probably about three-fourths of that check is mine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, if if Sergeant Ballard just said, here's this, I've never met the man, but I tell you what, I salute you, sir, because of what you poured into Colonel Shabazz and no doubt poured it into other people. So now, okay, and and the chaplain, I mean, you know, you mentioned seeing him and how you feel, but what else? Did that relationship continue? Did he... it didn't? Okay.
1: No, it didn't. He was uh <laughs> (laughs) He was a captain. I was an E-4. He came by. He spoke to me, put that in my life. And as the Army is, you know, he probably went on to the next soldier and uplifted them. And then he PCS, the permanent change of station and went on with his life. I saw him again when he was a lieutenant colonel and I was a captain. I was speaking at this Black history program and I was telling the story. And after I, I didn't even know his name. I was telling the story at the Black History program, and he came up to me afterward. He said, "Barnes." Mm. I said, "Sir." He said, "Barnes." I said, "Yes, sir. My name used to be Barnes." He said, "I'm the chaplain that talked to you." Oh my god! Wow! Wow. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's, that's, great. Great. that's that's great. That's a that's a great story. Wow. Okay, so you converted to Islam. And let's say early on in your military career, uh, were there struggles because you were now a Muslim?
1: <laughs> oh, my God. It's, it's, there's still is there struggles, right? Okay. Um, I, I walk into my battalion as a captain. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm animated, probably, as you can tell, I'm an excitable guy, you know, I'm happy. Uh, just to be living. So I walk into my battalion commander, reach out my hand to shake his hand and he wouldn't shake my hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says, uh, I'm sure you're a nice guy, but we got some problems with your religion. How you guys treat women? Have a nice day. Mm-hmm. He ain't talked to me for nine months, right? Mm-hmm. And so you, I, that story turned out well because I just went to work and did what I needed to do and he, came, he eventually came around. But you would think mm-hmm that story ends there. But as of three years ago, it's the same stuff. You know, I come into this unit. I mean, I'm an extremely large man, all right? And then you walking in, you're African American and you got a moon on your uniform. Ain't nobody seen a moon (laughs) on the uniform. And people are like, what the hell, all right? And so there's a four month burning period Well, people ain't even really talking to you, you know what I'm saying? And then um, sometimes um, those people who are in charge, you know, I can tell you about this one incident, I won't tell you how many years ago because people be tracking this stuff, but he was a um, commander and he would shake everybody's hand in the room but mine Mm -hmm. and just look me up and down and go on to the next person. And mm-hmm. I would laugh because, you know, mm-hmm. I'm thinking to myself, I've already won, brother. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I already won. So, yeah, that, that's constant. Uh, but, you know, I I read a lot of biographies on Dr. King, Malcolm X, Durga Marshall, all of these giants. Um, and they went through it, you yeah. know. So yeah. I'm Muslim. I'm going through it. But um, my last commander, man uh oh, he was giving me my award this, this is this is wonderful and this happened about three months ago uh he stood out and he said because he had about 200 people out there and he said the first muslim division chaplain the first muslim to go to war college the first muslim to make colonel the first muslim to work at a three-star command the first muslim uh, to work at a four-star command, you are looking at the new Jackie Robinson. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, that's fan- that's fantastic. Okay, yeah. so, yeah, so, um, you know, people of difference. Um, so what kinds of things do you think that, and you can be general about this, some Muslims or some, anyone who is not Christian, uh, face in the military. because let's face it, you know, uh, the United States is uh, primarily a Christian country. Yeah. Uh, you would think that most of the people in the military are probably Christian. That's correct. And in the United States, most of the people of European ancestry. So anyone who is different may face something. What kinds of things do soldiers face in the military generally?
1: Well, generally, the military is a very difficult environment just to be in. I mean, you're talking about on an average day, we work 10 to 12 hours a day, Right. Mm-hmm. And so we, we are a conglomerate of people from all over the world. So a lot of times it's cultural differences, in my opinion. I haven't seen a really a lot, a lot of blatant racism, but I think it's like cultural differences. That's one of the great things about being a chaplain. Uh, I was counseling this um, senior the other day and he's like, chaplain, but you know, he wouldn't look me in my eyes and he turned around. That's disrespectful. And I'm gonna fry his ASS. I said, hey, brother, let me, let me tell you something about the African-American man. And I can speak from this perspective because I am one. He turned away from you, not in disrespect, but to uh, uh, cover himself so he wouldn't do nothing crazy. I say, that's our culture. Right. right. Second part, he was crying and he the man has an ego in our culture. Our pride is everything. I said, I bet you if you sit down and talk to him, he'll tell you verbatim what I said. And so he talked to the guy and uh, he changed his opinion. So a lot of times, sometimes people mistake racism for cultural differences. You understand? So I think a lot of times uh, some mis- Uh, corrosive behaviors happen because of cultural differences.
0: I got you. I got you. Uh, What about women? Uh, You know, uh, is that uh, what kinds of things? I'm sure you have women who come to you for counseling. What kinds of things are they facing? Generally speaking. Well,
1: yeah, generally speaking, I mean, women uh, all over the world uh, are facing inequality uh, when it comes to um, uh, whether men think they're competent or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether men think they're using their sexual feminine, femininity uh, to get over on people, uh, so the military is no different than society when it comes to uh, thoughts about women. That's why women, on the whole, are paid probably about nine percent less than men.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's no, no different. I got you. All right, so Colonel, you know, look, you got two PhDs. I mean, two PhDs. What? <laughs> what? What motivated you? To pursue two PhDs. Trauma. Trauma? Trauma. All right. uh, tell us more.
1: Uh, Trauma. So so um in my mind, right, I'm never good enough. Right. So after the first masters, you know, I get a 3.1 because I got ADHD and I don't do well. So okay. I gotta go get another one. So maybe this time so I can get a 4.0. Well, that didn't happen. 3.1, 3.2. All right. And So now you're into the realm. Well, I got two master's degrees. You know, I'm going to get a PhD. And once I get the PhD, man, I'm whole. I'm going to feel smarter. You know, I can finally be myself. You get the PhD. All right. I get, I get into the part of where you got to write the dissertation. You know, most people get about four or five rewrites. That's standard. Mm-hmm. I had 15. So now... I'm sinking into more self-esteem issues, right? So, so anyway, I end up quitting the program. Mm. This lady, call, lady uh, called me, I was at in Baghdad and she said, not on my watch, it. you will not quit. Mm. White lady, very good friends. She said, uh, cause I used to tell about my mom and my grandmother all the time. And she said, you will not let them down.
0: Mm.
1: <laughs> You will not let them down. You will get this PhD and help people like yourself. (laughs) So anyway, long story short, for me in my mind, all the master's degrees and the PhDs, it took me 30 years to mess my life up. In my mind, I needed 30 years to recover my life. And so I promised myself I was going to be in school for at least... The next 30 years to recover my life. And, and to date, I've been in school 25 straight years.
0: Wow. Woo. As you would say, as you would say, woo. <laughs> that's, that's, that's amazing. So um, you've written four books, and uh, among other things. What do you try to communicate in some of your books?
1: Authenticity. Uh-huh. Be who you are. God made you specific for your purpose, your destiny, and who you are, nobody else can touch. Mm -hmm. Uh, My first book was self-esteem because I didn't have any, right? And so I did five years of research on self-esteem. And, you know, what I found out through that first book is people develop self-esteem by doing and challenging themselves and failing and getting back up. And so I wrote that book as a call to reason, losing our manhood, right? And that's what I called it because self-esteem to me is is manhood. It's just refusing to get get up, give up. And then secondly, i got a couple of religious books and those in the same vein, right? That your religious identity is not tied up into guys like me who is a preacher, imam, whatever they call me these days, chaplain. God has given you a mind to study. God has given you a mind to read that book just like you read. I read it. You can come to me and ask advice, but I should not be your sole source to guide in your life. To me, just me. That's idol worship. That's idol worship. God has given you the ability to be able to worship Him, think for yourself, and guide your life based upon his book, whatever that book is for you. So I have a guiding principle, four guiding principles in my life. I think everybody needs a mission statement. So my 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 four guiding principles are I call them the four eyes, right? So they're not only eyes, but they're eyes that guide me. Interdict mediocrity, intercept ignorance, infuse excellence. And in all my books is most important, influenced by many, defined by none. Hmm. Right? Yeah. That's what we're going back to of learning to be authentically who you are. I read all these books about Malcolm, about Dr. King, about Hewitt P. Newton, whoever they are. And I would take advice from all of them. But I would ardently tell all of those giants, I'm not you. I'm me and yeah. I'm gonna govern my life accordingly.
0: That's that's great. That's great. So you know, I also come from a Christian background. And when I think about the Bible and Jesus in particular, you know, I can I can rattle off some of the jewels, you know. Yes, so, yes. And you know you know them as well as I do. But what I don't know, and what some of our listeners may not, and those who watch this on video may not know are about some of the jewels that you've come to embrace. From the Quran that touch your heart, can you share just a few things with us about what really touched you, what stirs you?
1: Yeah, uh, one of the themes in the Quran is dependence on the One God. I I, I studied Arabic too, so <laughs> it, it it says La ilaha illallah. There's no God but He, which means that no human being walking this earth has the right to tell you how to govern your life. That's that's, that's the relationship between you and God, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I thought that to be profound. Uh, the second thing, uh, for me, the Quran talks about, uh, again, I'll say it in Arabic, it says, uh, read in the name of your Lord who created you. So everything that is around you, everything about who you are, as a father, as a husband, as a businessman, this podcast, you had to do an interview with me, you had to read and educate yourself to ensure that you are a thinking person. I love that about the Quran, it's about education, it's about thinking and not just blind following. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you this last one, uh, is where i a part of the philosophy of my life. You know, God says on the day of judgment, we're gonna come before him and we're gonna even try to manipulate him. He's gonna, we're gonna say, this is detailed in the Quran. I listened to my scholars and my great men and they led me astray. God says to us, double the punishment for you because you didn't think for yourself. These men, yeah. were seeking guidance themselves. Oh, I
0: love that! <laughs> I love that. That's great. That's great, man. That's great coming from someone who rode a short bus to school back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were speaking to <laughs> everybody. So, look, um, you know, you are you are amazing. So, I was looking in, in some of the chaplains of difference in the armed forces, including the army, and I noted that in 1943, Masayo or Masayo Yamada was the first Asian-American chaplain in the army. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Lieutenant Colonel Tim Rue, and I'm gonna make a point in a moment, first Korean. Alice Henderson, 1974, the first woman. And in 2020, Monica Lawson became the first black woman to reach the rank of Colonel in the Army.
1: That's a misnomer, by the way.
0: It is a misnomer. Tell us, clarify that for yeah. me.
1: Just had to clear that up. Um, she didn't reach her, she didn't do her research. Uh, it was another Black woman 10 years prior to her who made the rank of colonel. Monica was the first woman to make a colonel on active duty.
0: So, active duty. That's right.
1: Yeah, that's, that's right. right. So, yeah, that's so that's what did.
0: I left that part off.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, I mean, really, it's yeah. the lady called the chief of chaplain's office uh-huh. and really excoriated them uh, because that that thing right there should be taken off the internet, what you just quoted, because it's unfair. It has nothing to do with you, but it's unfair to that lady. Uh, I got you. They just didn't you. retract it.
0: Yeah, I got you. Thank you for, for clarifying that. That's important. Yeah. So um, any two more questions? Any parting wisdom, and these are broad questions, but I'd like to know, what what else would you like to share uh, with our audience about whatever you've discovered about life, about service, about Islam?
1: Well, what I found out about life is you'll never be an eagle hanging around chickens. Uh I'm gonna say that again. You'll never be an eagle hanging around chickens. God made you an eagle. Eagles fly alone. Eagles are the rarest bird on the planet. We are rare in our DNA. We have become socialized to be like everybody else. And the problem I see in in humanity is we put a lot of chickens around us to make us comfortable, Uh right? We need people around us who are better than us, smarter than us, more experienced than us, to help us grow. But we like to live in comfortability. The second thing I'll say, uh, in, in, in accordance with that, if you can't change the people around you, change the people around you. I'm gonna say that again. If you can't change the people around you, change the people around you, and you can't change anybody. So if they're not going in accord with where you're going with your life, I'm not telling you to you don't have to be friends with them, but they can't hang around you and stop you from your purpose. Lastly, I'll say this. Until you change the way you look at things, the things that you look at will never change.
0: Profound. That's great. So how, how do you wish to serve? You're in a service capacity. How do you wish to serve humanity as you go forward in your life?
1: Uh, the, the, re- the way I serve humanity is to not be bound by religious shackles not being bound by religious dogma, not being bound by religious traditions. And what do I mean by that? Um, Religious religious people keep us in the box, God frees us. I have married two Christians. I've married a Muslim with two Christians where uh, they came to me and said, with your character, your integrity, and how you treat people, we want you to marry us. I say, absolutely, no problem for me. Uh, last month, uh, I married a Christian and a Muslim. No Muslim would marry these people because they were doing interfaith. And no Christian would marry these people because they were doing interfaith. Uh, they saw me on the Internet. They called me. We had a six-month kind of you know talk back and forth, premarital counseling, and I married them. The Christians were mad. The Muslims were mad. But at the end of the day, these t- these two people got married, so wow. <laughs> and wow. I helped. So I won't be bound by our religious tradition or shackles, uh, and that upsets the apple cart. Uh, but at the end of the day, we're talking about authenticity.
0: Yeah, we're
1: talking about um, serving mankind. And now, lastly, I say this: my goal in life is, after you leave my presence, you'll be stronger. Whatever That's whoever. That. Yes, yeah,
0: yeah, I got you. Well, look, I'm stronger now already. <laughs> but when I do. I, I got to ask you one more thing. You know, the yeah. first Muslim colonel in the U.S. Army, and when you, and then the, the two pages. What we've already said about your credentials and looking back at your life to this point. When you sit there and you consider where you started and where you are, what does that feel like today? Uh,
1: it's 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 it makes me squirm. It makes me uncomfortable. It makes me sometimes sit in this house and I can't sleep um, because it doesn't seem real.
0: Yeah.
1: Nobody who comes from that far down ends up here, right? And not just end up here, being able to take the minutia that I take every day. I mean, you got people who are on the internet threatening to kill me, right? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. I, I just got from an event the other day. A guy invited to invited me to, and he introduced me, and his voice was shaking, right? And so I called him after. I said, "Mr. Tony, man, I, I just want to commend you for your courage for inviting me." He said, "Man, I've been following you on the internet for three years. You're such a good person. People need to be exposed to you." I said, "But Mr. Tony, you could have lost your job." He said, Man, I do what God commanded me to do. And you know where I learned that at? From you. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So, uh, well, that's the effect you have on
0: people. Yeah. Well, uh, I tell you what, that's amazing. Uh I would say that you're the right man for this job. Woo! Control, you know, the right size, right statue, <laughs> all of it. Right. Because uh, yeah, you're forced to be reckoned with. Thank well, you. Sir. Colonel, doctor. Kalib Shabazz, thank you for spending time with me today.
1: Thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it.
0: Okay. You've been listening to the Possibility Action Network podcast. Our guest today has been Dr. Colonel Kalib Shabazz in the U.S. Army. Once again, Dr. Shabazz, thank you for your time today.
1: Thank you, sir. Thank you.